0: We are going to be talking a lot about the Word of God, and Steve opened up the service today talking about the importance of the Bible and gave us a few facts about the Bible. And I've got, uh, I've got several up here. And the Word of God is very, very important. And we are going to be reading out of some different places in Scripture. I'm going to show you some things. Now, is every word of God important? And is all Scripture inspired? And what is Scripture and what is not? And how do we know that we have what was supposed to be in our Bibles? How do we know that it's in there, pure, and complete. How do we know? Now, I do know that God spoke to Adam and Eve, and he told them some very important things, and it did not take long for the devil to show up in the third chapter of our Bibles, and he famously said, did God really say? Now, you know that I preach out of the King James Bible, and that I believe that God spoke to men, and He breathed the Scriptures. They wrote them down, and we have, in the originals, we have Hebrew, we have Aramaic, then the New Testament is Greek, when you go back to the originals. Now why? Why would the language change? So we have Hebrew, which was the language of the elect of God. So that was the language, and then you had Aramaic as well. And that is what was used. That was the language that was used. By the time the New Testament came around, the major language of the time was Greek. So therefore, the Bible was in Greek. It still had Hebrew, and then it had Greek, and then there came a time when there was going to be a new language that was going to be the dominant language of the world, and guess what? It's not Greek. It's not Spanish, but it happens to be English. God said he would preserve his word forever. He talks about all the things that will pass away, but that his word would live on. His word would never perish. Okay? And he chose God. Some people say, well, how did God know that we would be speaking English today? Like, does God have a problem with understanding what's going to happen in the future? God is so amazing that it would just blow your mind. That's that's why people couldn't look directly at God, because they would drop dead. Moses was scared, and Moses had to hide his face, and the brightness of God was so bright that when Moses came down off the mountain, he glowed and people could see it. On the Mount of Transfiguration was an amazing sight, and not too many people was able to look upon it. And Jesus actually told his disciples, don't talk about this. And it's in our Bibles, and we can read about it. Now, I'm going to show you some things that are really, really interesting. Very, very neat. Okay? Now, Like I said, I believe that God preserved His Word in the King James Bible in 1611. And before that, it was in other languages. There was Greek manuscripts everywhere. And all these manuscripts were preserved over time. And uh, William Tyndale died translating the Word of God into English in the 1500s. He went to the stake, was strangled, and his body burned because of what he was doing. Why would anybody want to hurt somebody who's trying to translate God's perfect word into this new language? It sounds to me like Satan himself was doing everything he could to stop that from happening in the 1500s. Finally, in 1611, King James authorized a new translation. Well, he authorized it back in uh, uh, 1604, and then it took seven years—seven years—to complete it. Remember how important number seven is. How godly that is. How perfect that number seven is. And uh, these perfect number—the perfect number of seven. If I, if I laid out seven objects up here in a row, guess what, there's gonna be one object in the very center of that, right? Because it's an odd number. But if I have an even number, you won't have anything that's in the center that stands out by itself. You would have two centers. You know, when you're laying off pickets, you, you build a deck or put up a porch and you have an opening You have to figure out, first thing you got to figure out is if you want them evenly spaced through that. Some people don't care, but I'm very particular about stuff like that, right? So the very first thing you do, you measure and you figure out, is it going to be an odd number or an even number? That's what you figure out to start with. And if you have an odd number, you're going to have one right perfectly in the center. I, I remember, you know, measuring out and going, ah, it's odd. Cool. Because I could go to the center, put the one there, and then measure from both directions whatever I came up with, whether it would be three and a quarter inches or three and a half. It couldn't be bigger than, you couldn't have more than a four inch gap there. It wouldn't pass code. And I would lay it off and go that direction. And when I got to the end, I would have the same space over here that I had over there. And I could actually make it to where all of them were exactly spaced perfectly. I could do that. The Word of God is perfect. It's like that. When it needs to be odd, it's odd. When it needs to be even, it's even. That particular. So, is every word important? Let's let's look at... uh, First, let's go to uh, Luke. Go to Luke. Now, it, you don't have to turn in your Bibles to these places, but if you're good at knowing where things are, you're going to turn there real fast because we're going to be moving to different places. But I want to, I want to show you something. And uh, we have Bibles in our pews. Now, there are some new international versions in our pews. You know that I don't approve of the new international version. You know that. Most of, you, most of you know that I don't like that version of the Bible. And I'm gonna. by the time I'm done today, you're going to understand why, uh, if you don't already know. I like them being here so that, I, if, and I've done it before, I have read certain texts out of the Bible, and there's people who have an NIV, or they're picked up one of these out of the pews, and they're reading along, and to stand up here and to watch their face when I get to a certain verse, and that verse isn't there. And they're just looking around, looking at other people like, what? I love it when that happens, because it proves my point without me having to come right out and say what I just said, that I don't care for the NIV. I like for it to just come out in preaching so that people see it for themselves. Well, the NIV was extremely popular for many, many years. It came out in probably the 70s. And then there was a very popular 1984 edition that they had changed from the original one. I'm pretty sure it was 73 when it first came out. There was other editions. Why? Why were there other editions? Well, they found out where they messed things up. So remember, man came up with the idea that the King James Bible needed to be fixed. Now, is it the Word of God or not? So what they're saying is, is the King James Bible wasn't really the inspired word of God translated into English, and, and man messed it up, and now we, and it all started in the late 1800s, we got to fix it. Man decided that he was smarter, and that he needed to fix the problems, okay? Well then, so the ones that we have in here are from 1984, the 1984 edition and then you had others after that so the newer nivs are different than the ones we have in our pews notice we have king james bibles pretty much in every pew because that's what i want people to get confidence in okay do we have confidence that we have the word of god today unfortunately there are so many people who don't think we actually have the true word of god And we actually have pastors throughout this country that will say, if you don't know Greek and you don't know Hebrew, you can't have the true Word of God. That is absolutely false. Never, ever believe that. God, that sounds almost Catholic in a way. It sounds like uh, a Catholic priest telling you, don't even bother reading the Word of God because it's too holy for you, and I need to tell you what it says. Don't ever fall for that. The Word of God is written for a little kid. Four or five years old can read it and understand it. They can. They can. All right, Let me, I'm going to give you an example. So here, here we are in Luke 4. I have, I have an English Standard Version Bible up here with me. <clears throat> Why? Why? Because the NIV has kind of fallen off. Uh, the Revised Standard Version was around a long time ago. It fell off. It, but not before it became the new Revised Standard Version. And it was like three or four different ones of those. And then the next one came along, and it was the most popular. And then the next one came along, and then it was the most popular. But all of these newer, modern Bibles, they come along, and they get real popular, and then they fade away because a new one comes out and people run to the new one. Now the newest craze is the ESV, the English Standard Version. Uh, I listened to the Unashamed podcast. They use the NIV. There's one guy that, that, sh- that is on the show on there. I think he uses the ESV. Zach. He's, he lives in North Carolina, I think. Well, I think he uses the ESV and Jace, and Phil, and, and, Al and Al, they all use the NIV. And when I'm listening, I listen to every single one of their shows, and I listen to them, and they're going through Luke right now. So in Luke, I'm listening to them, and they talk about uh, demons being cast out, and the disciples come back, and people are asking, look, your disciples, they, they weren't able to cast these demons out. And then the the, the disciples were really puzzled. It's like, why couldn't we cast that that demon out? Because Jesus, it was so easy for him. And what was the reason why they couldn't cast those demons out, the disciples? The reason, most everybody in here would say, because it's impossible to cast those types of demons out unless you pray and fast. Most Most everybody would know that. That, those demons only come out through prayer and fasting. Well, when they're, when they're talking about that, they say prayer. And I, and I finish the, the, the verse when I'm listening to them. There, fasting is not in their Bible. Okay, I, you get over to 9, uh, Luke chapter 9, you get down to verse 56, 57, somewhere in there, and James and John are so mad at, I'm pretty sure it's the Samaritans, and they said, they looked to Jesus and they said, uh, how about we call down fire and brimstone out of heaven? And and then they'll read what Jesus says, and they say, and and Jesus rebuked them, and they stop. And I I finished the verse for them. I'm like, why didn't they read the rest of it? The actual words that are in red that Jesus spoke. And Jesus said, you don't know of what spirit you're of. And and, and, and I did not come down, the Son of Man did not come down to destroy men's lives, but to save them. All of that is missing out of the NIV and the ESV. The very words of Jesus, you're taking them out? How can you get away with that? So is every word important? So Luke 4, this is where Jesus... Is tempted by the devil, right? And what does it say here in Luke 4? In Luke 4 4, this is after Jesus been hungry for 40 days. And, and Satan is trying to tempt him to turn stones into bread. And what does Jesus say? All right, I got to open up this uh, ESV. In the King James, it says, And Jesus answered him, saying, It is written that man shall not live by bread alone but by every word of God. The ESV says, and Jesus answered him, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. What about the but every word of God? Why is that missing? Go down to verse 8. This is the second temptation. In the King James, it says, And Jesus answered and said unto him, Get thee behind me, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Well, in the ESV, or if you happen to have your NIV open, it leaves out, Get thee behind me, Satan. leaves it out. Satan loves it when you take his name or his likeness out of these situations. In Isaiah 14, 12, Lucifer. Is that right, 14, 12? Isaiah 14, 12, it says Lucifer in your King James Bible. Lucifer is missing out of every modern translation. It's gone, except maybe the new King James. So does that that make you think Does that make you think? Are you you wondering if we really have the true Word of God? Does it cause confusion? Well, I can tell you who wants you to be confused, and it's not God. Because God is not the author of confusion. All right, in, uh, in, in Psalm 12, Psalm 12, I'm going to show you something there. If you would like to turn to Psalm 12, you can. It says, this is Psalm 12, verses 6 and 7. It says, The words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. Now in that that second verse that I read, at 7, in the new modern translations of the Bible, it changes them to protect him or us, things like that. It changes the whole meaning of what is being said so that it's not talking about preserving words anymore. It's talking about prever- preserving people. That's Psalm 12, 6, and 7. So one of the most strong verses that support Jesus or, or God preserving his word forever is destroyed in all modern versions of the Bible. <clears throat> and Psalm 138, 2 says. I will worship toward thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth. For thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. That is a very bold statement. It's saying that God has magnified his word above his name. Now, how is that possible? Every other version cannot handle that. And they either make them equal or turn it around. Well, what good is a name? What good is your name if your word means nothing? Think about that. God is making sure you understand that his word is so important that he would even magnify it above his own name. That is a bold statement. Now, in uh, the King James Bible, we have all kinds of things, all kinds of, uh, what what would you call it, just signs? There's all kinds of these signs that show that God's hand is in it. The number of certain words, certain phrases, where they fall, as far as chapter and verse. And you might say, "Well, chapters and verses weren't in the originals." But did God know that one day there would be chapters and verses? You know, if you if you look at your if you look at an NIV or an ESV, and you have places where verses are completely omitted, well, the verse number is not. I mean, the, it is in that particular one, but it doesn't change the number of verses in the uh, in the book like chapter 1 of whatever, if there's a verse missing or two verses missing, they don't... It, it still ends with the same number that the King James has. You see what I'm saying? So if in, in Matthew 17, verse 21, that verse is eliminated. But there's a uh, 20 and a 22, so it doesn't back up 22 to 21. Okay, makes sense? Acts, one of, my, one of the ones I go to all the time is Acts uh, 8, Well, it's 37, and that verse is just missing. It's missing, but you, it goes from 36 to 38. So, so when you look at the end of a chapter and you see how many verses, it matches the King James. But yet there's verses missing. So if they think that that verse shouldn't be there, why don't they shorten it up? They, they won't. They won't do it. Is this interesting? You think this is interesting? You don't like it? In John 21, in John 21, this is where Peter decides he's going to go back fishing. This is the very end of the Gospels. The very end of the Gospels you got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and now we're at the very last chapter of the Gospels. Simon, this is verse 3 of 21. Simon Peter saith unto them, I go a fishing. They say unto him, We also go with thee. So they decide to follow Peter. Peter is a very instrumental part of the work of God. So is Paul. Peter and Paul are very important people in the Word of God. Peter, his influence, you see his influence right here? He goes to go back fishing when Jesus wanted him to be fishers of men. He's already told him that before. But Peter decides he's going to go fishing for fish again. And he has a lot of people follow him to do it. And they went forth and entered into a ship immediately, and that night they caught nothing. But when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. So they went out, and they're producing nothing because they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing. But Jesus is there anyway. He has showed up, and he's asked, "Uh, children, have ye any meat? They answered him, no. And he said unto them, Cast the net on the right side of the ship, and ye shall find. They cast therefore, and now they were, able, were not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes. Therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved saith unto Peter, It is the Lord. So John, who won't mention his name, he just says that disciple that Jesus loved, he looks over at Peter and he said, they're thinking about a long time before this, where they were out fishing, and they couldn't catch anything, and Jesus said, cast the net on the other side, and they were, Peter's like, Lord, we've been, we, we are professionals, and we've been fishing all night, and okay, we'll do it anyway just to make you happy, and they throw the net on the other side, and they pull the nets, and the nets started breaking. That's how many fish they caught, by listening to what Jesus said. Right here, right away, John's like, "Uh, deja vu. I've seen this picture before. So Peter grabs a coat, because he's fishing naked, according to this, He puts that coat on, he jumps in the water, and he's getting to Jesus as fast as he can. The net is so heavy, they cannot get it into the boat. They can't do it. So, they are pulling that net across, and they get it up to the shore, and they pull it up on the bank, and they count all the fishes. They count them. How many fish were in the net? 153. Why is that important? Could you just say they caught a lot of fishes and not worry about that 153? This is Peter pulling the net in. Did you know that there happens to be exactly 153 verses that Peter is mentioned in? There happens to be 153 verses that Paul is mentioned in. They're both being called to preach the gospel. Paul said that he was... He was to preach the gospel to the uncircumcised, the Gentiles. Peter was to preach the gospel to the circumcised, which is the Jews. Now, that's not how many mentions their names are. That's how many verses that they're mentioned in, because there are 158 mentions of Peter in the New Testament, but there's five places, five verses that he's mentioned twice. So you take five away from 158, it's 153 verses does that mean anything is that just coincidence i don't know but it's something to think about when i see a number it makes me want to think why is the number that number so then what are they supposed to preach they're supposed to preach the gospel right The gospel, the gospel, if you put that phrase in your search engine in a computer program on how many times that phrase is used, it's used in the Bible 77 times. Seven, 77, seven. And if I laid out 153 pickets, the center one would be the 77th one. Does that mean anything? Don't know for sure but just something to think about. How about, what are they supposed to do with this gospel? They're supposed to preach it, right? So if you take every form of the word preach, preach, preached, preacher, preachest, preacheth, which is s the S word and the T word, and then preaching. If you take all of those words, every form of preach, and you find out how many are in the Bible, there's 153 mentions. Does it mean anything? Not sure, but I think that's interesting. I think it's interesting. Now, one last thing I wanna show you before we stop for today. We didn't have a lot of time because uh, we had a lot of other stuff that kind of went long, but the book of Mark. This, really pay attention to this. This is really interesting. The book of Mark. And I shared this at the jail Tuesday night, so I wrote it down, because I just wanted to check it for myself. Now, again, 777, talk about Lamech living to be 777, and that's got some, some significance right before the judgment came of Noah's flood. We all seem to know 666. You don't have to be a church-going believer to think 666 is scary. <clears throat> if you go to Bojangles over on, in Delville and uh, you order a certain combo, your total is 666. Now, the Salem Bojangles, they, they change the price one penny, not lower, but one penny higher, so that your, your total will be 667. Because too many people... No, I'm not getting that. I'm going to get this. 666 means something to you, right? It's the number of the beast. Okay, the Gospel of Mark, the last part of Mark, verses 9 through 20, which is, you need to read it for yourself. If you look at any modern version of the Bible. You're going to see brackets starting with verse 9 to the end, verse 20. And then you're going to see a note, and it's going to say, these verses were not in the oldest and best manuscripts, which is a big fat lie. First of all, the two manuscripts that they're talking about are not, they're neither the oldest nor the best. They're very corrupt. And if you go back and you study it, and you really look into it, you're going to find out that it's, they're in most all of the others. But all the new versions will tell you that this is not supposed to be there. But yet they're too scared to take it out. But they tell you it's not supposed to be there. Now how many verses is that from 9 to 20? Starting at 11, if you go 11 through 20, that's 10. Then you've got verse 10 and verse 9, that's 12 verses. 12 verses, they say, should not be there. I added up the number of verses. I went to the end of every chapter of Mark, and I wrote down how many verses were in that chapter. Chapter 1 had 45 verses. Chapter 2, 28. And all the way down through, there's all different numbers. And 16 has 20 verses. And I added them all up, and it's 678 verses in the book of Mark. Take 12 away from 678. 666. So, if, I, if somebody convinced me that 9 through 20 should not be in the Bible, and I'm like, okay, I'll take it out. I'm left with 666 verses. Mark would end with verse 8, which says... I'm not even at Mark 16. Alright, Mark 16. Verse 8 says... And they went out quickly and fled from the sepulchre, or tomb, for they trembled and were amazed. Neither said they anything to any man, for they were afraid. That's how it would, would end. That would end with believers in Jesus Christ being afraid and not speaking, not wanting to preach the gospel but being afraid and not spreading the Word of God to anybody. anybody. That's how it would end. But if you leave all those verses in, look at how it ends. And they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the Word with signs following. Amen. Isn't that a much better ending of Mark? So again... I could show you well over a hundred verses. I've got them listed in this book up here. It's the most complete list I've ever seen of well over a hundred verses that are changed in the new versions. They're either omitted completely, or they leave out Jesus' words, or they totally change the meaning of it. If that don't concern you, I worry about you. I am very concerned. If that doesn't bother you, I'm very concerned. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, your words are pure. And Father, those that trust in you, those who believe that you can Preserve your words forever, no matter what comes up against it. Father, we go out and we speak your words. Father, we have your message in our hearts, and we are bold to go out and proclaim it. And Father, we know that your word has come under attack from the Garden of Eden till now. Father, I pray that we would be a wise people, that we will not be tricked by Satan, that we will have all confidence that we have your preserved word. And Father, that we would not be ashamed to speak it to anyone we meet that needs to know you. Thank you, Father. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.